Live from Harrison County, West Virginia, we welcome you to the Healthy Harrison Podcast, a show designed to help you change your state. I'm Brock Malcolm, and today I'm joined by our co-host, Amy Haberbash-Wilson, who is the president of Healthy Harrison. And uh, we're streaming this program on the Healthy Harrison Facebook page, as well as on the state distribution network of our partner, wvnews.com. Every week at this time, we chat with individuals who, in either their professional or personal lives, or both, share the mission of Healthy Harrison, that being to foster measurable improvement to the health and well-being of the people in North Central West Virginia. Today, we are very fortunate to have Dr. Allison Bards with us. Uh, Dr. Bards is a West Virginia native growing up in Green Bank in Pocahontas County, and she obtained her undergraduate degree at Bridgewater College in Virginia. She then came back to WVU for med school and followed that with a residency at the West Virginia University Eye Institute, where she served as the chief resident graduating in 2016. Since then, she's worked as a comprehensive ophthalmologist, and she worked for Acuity Eye Group in Los Angeles until 2018 before rejoining WUI Institute as faculty. Uh, Dr. Bards is board certified, and she joined the staff at Regional Eye Associates in April 2020. She is a member of the American Academy of Ophthalmology, the American Society for Cataract and Refractive Surgery, and the West Virginia Eye Physicians and Surgeons. And uh, Dr. Bards, it's our pleasure to have you and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, why don't we just kind of jump in with some general eye questions? Sure. You know, so many uh, of our viewers have children and or, you know, eye concerns of their own. Uh, let's kind of start with kids, though. I mean, as a parent, how can we keep our kids' eyes safe, and and what kind of injuries do you see involving kids? So kids in particular, I mean, in, in all stages of our life, we want to keep our eyes safe, and kids are particularly vulnerable because they're a little braver, I think, than the rest of us. Um, I can never stress enough how important eye protection is to protect the integrity of your kids' eyes. There's other things that we can do to promote eye health, you know, with our children, but um, keeping their eyes safe, I think, is really, really important. Um, I can't tell you, especially during training when we tend to see the, the, the worst of the worst, how many people in general we see with injuries from either Nerf guns, those airsoft guns, um, shooting bows and arrows, um, or, you know, sports injuries. Um, and really using good eye protection, I think, is, is so important and tends to be somewhat underrated outside of the sports realm. What about sunglasses, getting into eye safety mm -hmm. and sunglasses for kids? And, that, and that's difficult. I mean, yeah. it's hard to get them to put it on. And it I know is, lived um, in Phoenix for a while and I recommended that all the children wear their sunglasses. Yeah, promoting that, I think, is really important. I mean, sun exposure can can cause things like cataracts to progress more quickly and things like that, which we worry about later in life, you know, with kids, especially light sensitivity, just have to take your kid and see, see what works best for them. So do you recommend them at a certain age of sunglasses? No? no. Okay. I mean, they'll, they'll know when their light, you know, when their eyes become more sensitive, but as you get older, I mean, I can tell for myself that I don't wear sunglasses probably as often as I should even. Um, and I do feel that my eyes do better when I, when I wear them. So. Well, I recently um, had a, a friend whose uh, spouse uh, was diagnosed with um, a melanoma in in his eye, uh, relating to basically not wearing sunglasses for so many years. And, and a lot of people don't realize that you can get 
essentially a skin cancer in your eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's lots of pigment there. And so it's not uncommon for us to find freckles in the back of the eye, which are just like freckles on your skin. You know, they can change over time and they can turn into melanomas. And so, you know, some most of them are small, but, you know, we do find people that have large ones. And I have diagnosed two in the last year of people that hadn't really had eye exams in a while and came into the clinic and um, and unfortunately had melanomas. Fortunately, they can be treated in West Virginia now. It used to be that we would send them out to um, to Johns Hopkins or to, Will, uh, to Will's Eye Institute um, in Philadelphia, but now they do treat them at WVU with Dr. Goryeb. So um, recently, uh, a number of celebrities have come out and talked about having lazy eyes as children, and, and so it's become... Uh, a topic that more and more people are talking about and trying to address with kids. When a child has a lazy eye, um, sort of maybe talk through why that occurs and, and why often a patch is used on the, on the good eye in order to try to address the problem. Sure. So a lazy eye develops because of a couple of different reasons. It can be because they have some problem like a cataract that they were born with or if their eyes are misaligned your brain will see two images and it says well I don't want to see two images so I'm going to just ignore one of those images um, or if they have a really high prescription sometimes you can develop what's called amblyopia or that lazy eye um, and so when that's detected most commonly it's detected when an eye crosses or deviates Sometimes the pediatrician picks it up when they're doing their exam and they're checking the red reflex if they find cataracts. And sometimes it's not detected, particularly if it's just because of a prescription in one eye that's different than the other. And that's why we do those screenings, you know, in their pediatrician's office before they start kindergarten um, to catch those types of things um, because it's a brain development issue. Um, you're... The brain is just trying to do what it thinks it should um, in order to see the clearest that it can. And so when it's detected, first, generally, I mean, if there's a cataract that needs to be removed, if it's just a prescription issue, then they need to be put in glasses. And sometimes that's enough. You know, that's enough to stimulate it. But if it's different between the two eyes, you need to encourage the development of that image, you know, for the brain. And so you patch the good eye to stimulate your brain to use the image that it's seeing in the other eye. If it's because the eyes are crossing or deviating, if glasses don't seem to straighten the eyes out because the eye's not straining from the prescription, then you know, then you either have to have eye muscle surgery to straighten the eyes out first, you know, and then, you know, we patch the good eye to stimulate the brain to develop the vision in the eye that's weaker. Exercise it. Mm -hmm. So what age does uh, the patching really seem to work best, and and can it also work for adults? Does lazy eye return over time? I mean, how, what what do you recommend in terms of long-term treatment for it? So you have to about age seven, you know, to really improve a lazy eye or to improve amblyopia. Um, after that age, patching drops different things don't really seem to work anymore. If you have an adult that's found to have a lazy eye, there's really nothing that can be done to improve that. And sometimes I get asked by patients who, you know, get to the point in their life where they need cataract surgery. You know, they've always had an eye that hasn't seen well. They're like, is this going to improve that? But it won't. You know, you're, you're improving the way that the, you know, the eye can see, but it only goes back to wherever it was, you know, kind of in their, their teenage years with correction. Um, it can't go past where the brain has developed that vision. So we really try to, to catch those people, you know, catch the kids 
young in life so that you have time to stimulate that. And that's why it's important to have that screened around the time they enter kindergarten because you still have a couple of years um, in order to help improve the vision. And so it's so really take important. us through the screening. Kindergarten, they should be screened. When's the next time and how often should kids go back and re have regular checkups? It depends. Um, so if if you fail the sc initial screening test, you go to see your local optometrist or ophthalmologist, and then they'll see is this real or was it just you mm -hmm. know just a testing error. If they have a certain prescription, then they may need to have that updated once a year because the prescription will change and fluctuate, especially as they're growing. You know, your eyes change just as the same as the rest of your body. You get taller, your eyes get a little bit bigger. Um, and so that prescription needs to be monitored. If there's other problems, then it needs to be monitored more closely. And then, you know, once the kids get past kindergarten, if they pass the screening, they're going to let you know if they're starting to have issues seeing the board. So if your kid starts doing less well in school, you know, they're going to start looking, you know, is there dyslexia going on? Is there a vision issue? Are they just having trouble seeing the board because they've developed some nearsightedness? Um, and so, you know, every couple of years, I think it's... So it's annual exams aren't recommended. They're just suggested in at least every two years? Every, about every two years for, for young people. And then more often if they need glasses or any other um, interventions. What about the risks children in particular have now of looking at screens too long? Um, what are you seeing there? How is that adversely affected, if at all, um, what you're seeing in children? And, and you know, so often now you'll see kids holding phones right up to their face or, or you know, so when, I guess, A, is screen watching a, a problem that you're seeing with eye care? And then second, does it matter how close kids are? You know, my mom always like, get back from the TV, get back from the yeah. TV. But now kids have screens right up to their face. So what are you seeing there? Well, so the studies have kind of gone back and forth. You know, I mean, this is looked at a lot, um, especially because we're doing a lot more of it. Um, you know, there's the whole issue of blue light and, you know, kind of your brain activity. But from an eye standpoint, you know, studies have, have shown that, especially early in life, if you do a lot of up-close work, it tends to stimulate nearsightedness. Um, there's some, you know, debate about kind of how exactly that works, but, um, you know, if you, not just screens, but, you know, if you do a lot of writing, a lot of things up close and you're not outside running and, and looking in the distance as much, it can stimulate nearsightedness, which is your body's way to try to focus, you know, clearly wherever you're actually doing all the things. Um, and so, um, I mean, Encouraging kids to go outside and play and look in the distance and do things where it's not so close to their face, I think is not a, is not a bad thing. Um, well, obviously, uh, we are always trying to encourage through absolutely uh, our, these activities, getting kids outside and playing more, putting the screens down a little bit. So it it's it's uh, makes a sense that it would also be part of good eye hygiene, right? Well, and adults too. Yeah, I'm for sure. The same thing for sure. Readers, now that I go off and on, and you two don't have yours, mm -hmm. but it's something I realized. You know, I don't know if it's a phone thing or an age thing that I realized readers now, and they're getting a little bit stronger. Yeah. So once you get to about 40, 45, then your the lens inside your eye, which helps to focus the light, and can change, and it's what you know give you the ability to see far away and then up close younger. It starts to become less flexible, and so you have it has. A hard time changing you know to help with the up close and so you need the assistance of the reading glasses and that tends to change over time and that doesn't mean you're going blind it doesn't mean that you're going to lose your vision permanently it's just a natural change over time well 
take a second and remind everybody that this podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. We are with uh, Dr. Allison Bards today, and let's take a, a, a kind of a change in focus and talk a little bit about the impact on our eyes from chronic disease. Um, so many West Virginians suffer from diabetes. Um, obviously, we have had speakers, uh, guests on to talk about diabetes control. What do you see in terms of how diabetes is affecting the eyes of your patients and what kind of treatments, if any, are available once you begin to see changes in the eye? Yeah, so diabetes can have some very drastic and devastating effects on the eyes. Um, you know, retina specialists like Dr. Miller, Dr. Goryeb in town, Dr. Lays, um, they're the ones who do the, the bulk of treating, you know, diabetic eye disease, um, but it can affect everything that they see. So it first starts out as just a few little leaking blood vessels inside the eye, and usually you don't notice it. And you say, why am I seeing my eye doctor every year? You know, this, you know, this, I haven't had diabetes for that long, but especially if you're a type two diabetic, which develops later in life, you may have had diabetes for a while and it wasn't detected. And so your sugars may have been running pretty high for a while before it was diagnosed. And so we can find diabetic changes you know, before you even notice them. And that's the goal for us to find them and treat them and help you work with your primary care doctor or your endocrinologist to get those sugars better so that you preserve your eyesight. Because it starts as those little leaking blood vessels and then you may develop swelling in the retina, which if it happens in the middle, then you may have to have laser procedures done or injections of medicine in your eye to help that swelling to go away. And eventually, as it progresses, then you can get new blood vessels that grow inside the eye. Um, we call that neovascularization. And it's because the diabetes has affected the blood flow to the retina, that lining on the inside of the eye. And so your body does what, it's, what it thinks it should. You know, growing new blood vessels in most parts of your body isn't a bad thing. In your heart, that's good. In your kidneys, in your feet, in other parts of your body, that's a good thing. But in your eyes, it's not because those blood vessels are fragile, they're small, they grow up into the jelly inside the eye or in places where they shouldn't and can cause bleeds in the eye, it can cause glaucoma, um, so it can create a whole host of problems. And so the better you control your diabetes, the less chance you have of developing those changes. Most people that have had diabetes for 20 years have some form of diabetic retinopathy or diabetic changes in the eye, but if it's poorly controlled and poorly controlled for long periods of time, then you increase your risk of having permanent vision loss from it. So, you know, we want you to keep your vision as long as you possibly can. And so encouraging, you know, good care of your diabetes early on can really help. I guess along the same lines, developing macular degeneration, what can we do to reduce our risk? And is it hereditary? So don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. <laughs> I mean, I think that's kind of the mantra of physicians for everything is, Smoking increases your risk of so many things. Um, don't smoke. And then just healthy lifestyle. So, you know, lowering your cholesterol, keeping that under control, eating lots of leafy green vegetables and, and things like that to get vitamins and minerals can all help, you know, reduce your risk. It does, you know, pass in families. So if you're 
parents, you know, went blind or had, you know, vision problems because of macular degeneration, you should have your eyes checked. Um, and there are eye vitamins that have been shown, you know, to be helpful. They're called AREDS2 vitamins. They always have a green label. And those are specifically designed to help slow the progression of the dry form of macular degeneration. Because there's two forms. There's dry and wet. The dry means it doesn't bleed. The wet means it bleeds. And the bleeding kind, you have to get injections of treat, you know, to treat that. The dry, there's no concrete treatment at this time. They're researching different injections and things you can do. But at this point, the best thing that you can do is, you know, eye protection, you know, sunglasses, um, and then healthy diet, um, don't smoke, and that can help reduce your risk of, of progression or changing. Now, one of the things that, that you do in your daily life as a eye surgeon is, is um, LASIK, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, mm -hmm. and so let's walk through, you know, a lot of people know of LASIK, and when it first kind of came out, you know, they were, seemed to be doing it in shopping malls and strip malls, and people were a little afraid about getting laser treatments on their eyes, and what if uh, I go blind? It's come a long way. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about what the procedure includes now, um, the experience for patients, the ideal age, and um, are there prescription limitations for people who are considering it? You know, like I, sure. I have waited and and you know maybe I've waited too long. Uh, what what are what are you looking for in the ideal patients for LASIK surgery? Okay, so so LASIK is a procedure that is done on the surface of the eye on the part called the cornea, which is if you were to touch your eye, it would be the first part that you would hit that clear part. Um, and there's a couple of different procedures. And you would talk with your surgeon to decide which one you're a candidate for. But the most one, the one that's most talked about is LASIK, where we lift a flap, do a treatment to correct your nearsightedness, farsightedness, or astigmatism, and then put that flap back down. Treatment has come a long way since it was started. I mean, back in the 80s, they were doing RK, which is where they made incisions in the cornea, and that was a disaster. I mean, we're still seeing a few patients lingering along um, that have had RK and now need cataract surgery and they have a lot of fluctuation in their vision. But the technology now, we it's all bladeless. Um, we use lasers for both making the flap and for the treatment and it's gotten so precise um, over time. And so as you're talking about healthy Harrison, like why would LASIK be a good idea? Why does that help keep you healthy? Well, because there's so many people who don't wear their contacts appropriately. You know, I think you probably know people, you know, who sleep in their contacts or wear them. Their two-week contacts, they wear them for three months. I maybe want to wear them a little too of, long. Yes, guilty of all that. over the two and weeks. It, and you know, there are risks with doing that. It can cause risks of little blood vessels growing along the periphery of your of your cornea. It can increases your risk of corneal ulcers, um, which can cause you know permanent vision decrease if you get scarring or, you know, blindness if it's a worst case scenario. And so if you're a bad contact lens wearer and you have had a corneal ulcer or, you know, you know that you don't wear them appropriately, then it's something that you might want to consider. Um, the ideal age is somewhere between 21 and 50. You can do it a little younger, around 18, but your prescription often hasn't stabilized enough um, in order to, to do a treatment. And you want to wait until your prescription is stabilized over the last year or two and you're getting very, very small fluctuations. And you'd want to ask your optometrist, like, am I a candidate? You know, like, do I have a prescription that is within the range? For our, for our laser suite, which is the, the most technologically advanced one that's on the market now, 
we can do a very wide range of prescriptions. So we can go down to minus 12, we can go up to about a plus five, um, which a lot of people don't know what their prescription is, but it's a question they can ask their eye doctor, um, whether that's an ophthalmologist or optometrist, if they're in the range. And we can correct astigmatism. There are, you know, limitations in that. If you have a really thin cornea, if the surface, if it would take too much tissue, you could increase your risk of problems in the future. But we have really great technology to help detect people that are at risk of those types of things. And so when you come in for an evaluation, then, you know, we look at all of those things. We look at your health problems, medications that you're on, um, those types of things to see, you know, what you're a candidate for. In the upper range, I don't like to do LASIK over someone, just a primary LASIK to help them after about age 50. Um, the reason for that, and you can do it, you could be, have, be a 70 year old and have LASIK, but at that point you've started to develop, you know, that difficulty with seeing up close, so LASIK won't free you from glasses. For some people that's worth it because they want to be able to see in the distance, but then they're still going to need reading glasses. But if that's worth it for them, then they may want to consider it. Once you get over that age, you start to develop early cataracts. And so your prescription is more likely to change. And so you may not get the longevity out of it. And it may be worth it to wait. And then, you know, when the time comes that you need cataract surgery, then we have a bunch of different options for you in terms of what you can have done. So hmm. it's a wonderful procedure. Um, you know, I think it's it's one of my favorite things that I do through my job. Um, but it does have its limitations. And so Regional Eye Associates is actually willing to, to offer a discount um, for Healthy Harrison podcast viewers. And so why don't you explain what that is? Yeah, so, so for the next two months from until May 21st, we're going to offer a 20% discount. Um, if you mention the podcast, um, the Healthy Harrison podcast, um, and it's a, I mean, typically the procedure costs about $4,800, so 20% discount is not, you know, it's it'll be great. Right? Yeah, yeah yes, absolutely. I appreciate that. And so um, you do the procedures in Bridgeport here in Harrison County? So we do, we've started doing the evaluations here. There are certain images and things that we have to give, but we're able to do the evaluations here, and we've started doing that here in Bridgeport. Our laser's in Morgantown, and it's not mobile. So you would go there for the procedure. Um, and then you would be able to follow up closer to home. So, because we have offices all over North Central West Virginia and um, Western Maryland. So, here, Weston, Morgantown, Oakland, Petersburg. Um, but you can have your follow-ups closer to home. Instead of traveling far, like to Pittsburgh, um, to have LASIK done, you could have it done much closer. All good. What about cataracts? You mentioned cataracts. Um, talk us through what the evaluation process is. My dad had cataracts. I, I remember as we were following through that process, there was talk about um, them needing to be ripe before they could be taken out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so what does that mean? And how long does somebody have to have a vision loss or a change of vision before they're able to get that fixed? And then, um, also, as you talk through that, what can we be doing to prevent or slow down the uh, progress of cataracts once we have been diagnosed? Sure. So cataracts, everyone gets them. You know, um, that's one of the, the biggest, it's the bulk of what I do is cataract surgery and monitoring people's cataracts. In all ages. Most Majority or older. Older. Though. You know, typically by the age, by the time people are 
65, nearly everyone has some degree of cataract. But just having a cataract doesn't mean we have to do anything about it. You know, if your vision still corrects well, you know, um, and you're not having any difficulty, then we just let it be. But once you start having visual difficulties that we relate to the cataracts, taking a look at your eye, so things like headlight glare at night, um, difficulty um, seeing things in dark rooms, like needing a lot more light in order to be able to see, or just not able to get your vision corrected with glasses like you used to be. I mean, obviously there's a whole host of things that can cause vision loss, but if it's related to your cataracts, then that's the time that you may want to consider having cataract surgery. Um, they talk about them needing to be ripe, and that's what we're meaning. You know, is it causing visual difficulties that can't be correctable in other ways? So sometimes you just need an update in your prescription. It's fluctuated a little bit, um, and we can just continue doing that for now. But if you get big shifts in your vision, which can happen with cataracts sometimes, um, or we're just not able to correct your vision to a level that is acceptable, or that you can't pass your driver's test, those types of things, then, then it's time for cataract surgery. Um, their Medicare does not have a specific vision requirement. Most of the time we say your vision needs to be at least 2040 um, in order to, you know, to qualify for it. But that also includes nighttime glare and driving, and we test for all those things in the office. So if you're having vision difficulties, you know, it may be, you know, in your, around that age, then, um, then you may want to be, be evaluated. And we're seeing cataracts at younger and younger ages now, I think, predominantly because of the prominence of diabetes in the community because mm. it can cause cataracts and they're typically the kind that progress pretty quickly so their vision can fall off over a couple of months but there's no specific time limit that you have to have that vision difficulty it's just is your vision difficulty related to your cataracts so the the surgery itself is generally done in two stages right i mean you do one eye and then and then the other so that people maintain vision um I remember when my father had his, um, he got new lenses put in and, and he had worn glasses his whole life and now he didn't need them anymore. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about some of the lens options that people have and, and, and just walk us through sort of what the procedure itself involves. Yeah. So while technology has advanced and given us a lot more options, it also has created a lot of confusion for patients, I think. You know, we want to be able to give you the best quality of vision that you can have and help to meet you know, each individual patient's vision needs. And so um, we typically do one eye at a time, you know, risk of infection. And also, you know, we can make adjustments to the, to the lens for the second eye based on how the first eye responded, which can be particularly important. Like if you've had a previous surgery like LASIK, you know, which can make your, your outcome after cataract surgery a little less predictable. And so it can help us to tweak things to help optimize your vision. Um, and so we at Regional Eye talk about lens options in three categories, which I think simplifies it a little bit. There's a lot of options out there on the market, but thinking about it in those three categories, I think helps to make it a little more straightforward. So we have the standard lens. It's a great lens. It's the one that your insurance pays for. Um, it can give you one distance. So that's usually distance or up close. It can't do both. If you have astigmatism, which is where the surface of your eye is more football-shaped than basketball-shaped, and people generally know if they have some degree of astigmatism because of their conversations with their eye doctors when they get their glasses, it can't correct the astigmatism. So some people, if you have astigmatism, still need glasses after cataract surgery with just the standard lens for both far distances and up close. Um, 
if and depending on what you want you know you can choose that lens but we have other options they're not covered by insurance um, because they don't find them to be medically necessary but they're something that you could choose if you're motivated to want to get out of glasses um, so we have you know a clarity lens which is an astigmatism correcting lens which can help give you the best vision at a, that single distance typically far away um, and can be a good option you know for patients to say oh well I just can use readers afterwards and then we have what we call our freedom package which is a lens that can give you a range of vision and with within that category there's a couple of different kinds um, but basically it helps to reduce your dependence on glasses it's not perfect you know our technology is not as you know is not perfect but it can help reduce your dependence on glasses so that you can look at your phone or you know make a meal following the recipe card or drive your car and look at the dashboard and not be fudging with either bifocals or with you know the reading glasses there are some limitations for the freedom lens so if you have any other eye diseases you may not be a candidate or, or significant dry eye that limits your ability to have those types of lenses because the quality of your vision may not be as is good but you would talk to your eye doctor and so it depends on what you want you know I don't push patients to any particular one but particularly the astigmatism correction that can be a big deal for for people mm -hmm. um, to help minimize their need for glasses for the distance um, but the technology is getting better and better all the time and I'm excited with with where it's going well for eye health I guess um, just in general leave us with three to five key points all right protect your eyes protect your eyes um, I just think safety glasses are so important and so underutilized um, and so that's the number one that's, I've always said that if I could do one public service announcement it would be that safety. just just put them on <laughs> number two you know think about think about LASIK if you're if you wear contacts or glasses and they're fogging up too much with the masks or you're not good at remembering to take the contacts out um, it may be a healthier option for you and three Keep an eye on your cataracts. Talk to your doctor. If you're having difficulty with your vision, don't wait. Um, you know, there are things potentially that can be done um, to help to help improve your vision and just brighten the world. I mean, cataract surgery doesn't just make what you see on the eye chart better. It makes whites whiter. It makes blues bluer. It can just really increase and improve, you know, what you're able to see in the world. Great. Thank you. Really great stuff. We thank you very much for being with us. Um, Thanks again, for inviting uh, we Great having Dr. Bards with us today, and uh, remember, and the information will be available um, on our sites that um, Regional Eye Associates is offering that discount if you mention the Healthy Harrison podcast. So if you've been thinking about LASIK, you may want to take advantage of that. Uh, we want to thank all of you for joining us today on the Healthy Harrison podcast. It's our goal to change your state of mind and ultimately to change the state of health here and throughout West Virginia. If you need help right now, you can visit HealthyHarrison.org or visit the Healthy Harrison Facebook page. And if you do that, leave us a like. Um, also, there is the Healthy Harrison app, which is free and available and has lots of, um, a lot of help on there in terms of diets and exercise ideas that you may want to check out. You'll find lots of support on all of those platforms, and you can always stream past episodes of our podcast on the Facebook page. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsors, WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, uh, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. On behalf of everyone at Healthy Harrison, we want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.